Virtually everyone in the world has heard of or is somewhat familiar with the book of Revelation. Yet the majority of Christians in particular state that it's too difficult to comprehend given all of the apocalyptic symbols and visions. If this is true, why is this the only book in the Bible to emphasize the bestowment of God's blessings on those who read, listen, and engage the words of Revelation? Consider this is the closing chapter of the greatest love story ever written, but somehow the Lord does not want you to know how it ends? Join us now as we break down the central themes and visions concerning the mission of Jesus and the cross as revealed to the Apostle John on the island of Patmos. I am Mark Russick, and you are listening to The Russick Outlook. As always, just my opinion. Good day, everyone. This is Mark Russick. You're listening to The Russick Outlook. As always, very appreciative of your time. So glad that you're joining us here. Uh, Today, we're looking into the book of Revelation as it applies to a series that we've been looking at, uh, which is called The Certainty of the Second Coming. Today's topic, From Patmos to Heaven, John's Vision in Eternity. And why Patmos? Well, it's the island of Patmos where John was uh, sentenced near the end of his life. And this is where he received the visions that he wrote down in what is famously known as the book of Revelation. And why I say famous is even uh, most people, I, I would say the, the majority of people without question, whether you're a Christian, Jewish, Muslim, or agnostic, atheist, uh, you know, whatever, they've heard of the book of Revelation. And this is the conclusion of the of the Bible and of the testimony of Jesus. Uh, this starts in the book of Genesis and ends in the book of Revelation. Uh, what I'm hoping to accomplish here as we begin, slowly begin the process of winding down this series, um, and, and I, want, I, I say slowly begin because I want, to, um, I want to take the time to approach this subject in particular, meaning the book of Revelation, because so many people have claimed not to understand it or shy away from it. Um, there's there's too many uh, visions or too many symbols, if you will, that they don't understand or feel like they, they can't understand that. And sadly, um, a lot of Christians ha- have expressed this too, never mind people who may not be familiar with Jesus or may not be familiar with uh, some of the Old Testament, perhaps. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to try to approach this as a high-level um, presentation. Uh, it's, it's going to take, you know, several different uh, broadcasts to accomplish this, but we will get there because in the end, we want to be able to understand exactly what it is and, and why we believe this way or why we may not believe this way. You may come away from this, and I hope you don't, but um, you may come away from this saying this is just too far-fetched, um, but nonetheless, you'll you'll learn what it is and what these symbols mean. Uh, at least that's my hope. Listen, if you um, enjoy subjects like this, if you could please hit the like or subscribe button. Um, we approach things from what I always tell people is I want the truth, no matter where it leads. Um, here we're we're digging into the Book of Revelation and the Bible, uh, which more often than not is going to be the foundation. But you know, I, I also approach other topics. Uh, for instance, uh, today we, we published a new post on the impact of the Iranian Revolution in the book of Ezekiel as it lines up for the future 
War of Gog of Magog. Um, I recently completed a uh, um, a blog on uh, uh, on science, and, and a lot of times Christians are perceived not to believe in science, or they're not educated enough. So I listed out some of the things, and interestingly enough, I came across and I, 21 items, and I could probably could have come across more, but they were 21 scientific facts that you cannot disprove. That you know this. All fields of science agree with it today, but they could not have possibly been um, uh, uh, put forth or tested properly until the last 150, maybe 200 years because of the technology we've learned. Um, so I, you know, I, I, I approach different subjects, science, technology, world events, um, and, and a lot of it as it pertains to the Bible, which is what we're going to be doing today. So again, if, if subjects like, uh, like this, or you enjoy this approach, if you could hit the like or subscribe button, we are all the platforms. We are, have a YouTube channel. Uh, this is a video audio podcast. So if you're on uh, a podcast platform, uh, you, you obviously hear it. But if you want to see some of the slides that some of the visuals that back up this information, we, we uh, pre- prevent, bleh, prevent, present this as well. Easy for me to say. So on, on that note, um, we're, we're, go- we're about to begin because of this. Because of this, I want to read something that's I consider so incredibly important that's written in the book of Revelation. And it says, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. So we're going to be reading aloud some of the words of this prophecy. Uh, and it says, And blessed are those who hear it. So if you are hearing this, uh, you are to be blessed and take to heart what is written in it. Why? Because the time is near. So the book of Revelation, as I stated up front, a lot of people don't understand it, but that's not what it's supposed to be. It's it's not supposed to be this great mystery that God's hiding, has a secret, and he doesn't want you to know. It's rather the opposite. He does want you to know, and he's saying to you right here that you're blessed to hear it, to read it, to see it, to understand it, to engage in it, to engage him. So this is what we're going to do. So, uh, you know, this is the approach, and this is why I view this so importantly. No other book says anything remotely close to this that I believe off the top of my head anyway. Um, But anyway, so the time is near, and, and why? Because we've been approaching subjects like this. If you look around the world today, uh, whether you're Christian or not, you know, uh, most people would agree that things are a little squirrely to say the least. And people are think. as a matter of fact, I will tell you that uh, prophecy is one of the most searched out things or items or topics online today. Uh, and w- whether you're Christian or not. And for Christians, I have seen a surge in the interest of, in, in prophecy. Why? Because they're seeing a lot of the things around us or they're sensing some things or they're hearing some things uh, that, that line up exactly with what the Word of God is. So this is uh, you know, what we're about to engage in. And again, my hope is to kind of break this down um, so that everybody can understand it. So on that note, let me continue. I'm I'm offering to you a brief synopsis of the themes that are covered here in the book of Revelation. 
If you're seeing this in video, you see some of the slides I have here to support it. Um, but the first one is correction. And these are letters that are written to the seven churches of, of their time, but it's a timeless piece because a lot of what Jesus instructs John to write to the churches applies today. Uh, it deals with complacency, syncretism, heresy, apathy. So these are words of correction. And I just, you know, remind the people that Jesus corrects us because he loves us. Just as a parent cor corrects his child, he does so because he loves them. And sometimes it may hurt. You may get your toes stepped on, uh, but so be it. It's it's for your it's it's for your betterment. Um, that it, we're not going to really engage in. So that's covered in the first three chapters um, of Revelation. Anybody can pick that up, and you know most people can read these first three chapters and understand what the Lord is saying here. I'm going to be concentrating on chapter four and up, which is these visions. Um, and these themes of what we're about to cover. So uh, let me just continue. So you had correction as the first one. Uh, the next one, and not necessarily in order, the vindicated lamb. 30 different times John sees Christ as the lamb slain for the sins of this world. 30 times in just this one book. So this is clearly very, very important. Uh, and, and, you know, we'll see this th throughout. Uh, deliverance is the next theme. Christ affirms that he is the ark that delivers believers from the storm of this age, just as the Lord provided the ark for Noah and his family uh, and for the ensuing generations that came from that. So it is that Christ is the eternal ark. Uh, spiritual warfare is another uh, very, very prevalent um, um, theme here. And I, I just, I'm simplifying this, but I'm saying deception is Satan's strategy. Everything that he does is, is based on deception. Remember, Jesus called him the father of lies. Uh, next is the destruction of Satan and evil. In the end, uh, I, I, I'll, I'll, spoiler alert, God wins. We win. Uh, Satan is defeated. Evil is crushed. And all the things that we see in this world that we may think is wrong will be corrected one day, will be resolved. Um, next is uh, eternal salvation. John writes that he saw it, and this is near the end of Revelation, I saw the new Jerusalem come down from heaven. And, and in the end, there will be a point, and, and we'll get to it, where we enter into eternity, that all the things of this world um, will, will go away. But, you know... Uh, God's word is eternal, and, and, and we'll see that you know, throughout. And the last theme that I'll say is worship. Throughout the, the book of Revelation, it, you see these images and, and, and instances of worship. It contains uh, so many uh, um, different examples throughout in, um, in, in heaven where we're worshiping God the Father and the Lamb Jesus. Why? Because they are worthy. So I'm giving you the abridged version of the themes of the book of Revelation. Hopefully that helps you as we continue on. Uh, what I'd like to do now is, is break something down that I believe um, is ultimately at the heart of the Lord concerning this. I'm going back to the very beginning in Genesis here. And God said, let us make man in our image. 
And what I would say in Revelation 19, 7, 8 here, and I'm reading you the message translation, so it's not necessarily the Word of God verbatim. It's broken down into modern-day vernacular. And it says, Our Father Yahweh's mission statement. For those who may not be familiar with the term Yahweh, it is the Hebrew expression uh, of, of the Lord's name. I'm not going to go down that road. Uh, but I do have a, a teaching coming up that will be published uh, sometime shortly on the names of God, and, and it's covered there. But let me read what this says. It says, Let us celebrate, let us rejoice, let us give him glory. The marriage of the Lamb has come. His wife has made herself ready. She was given a bridal gown of bright and shining linen. The linen is the righteousness of the saints. So for those who know Jesus, we are the righteousness. Why? By nothing that we've done on our own, but by everything that he's done, meaning Jesus, through the blood uh, and, and through the cross. So, uh, you know, picture this. I'm, I'm showing you on video, uh, and I'll, I hope to describe it, is a man coming up or the face of a man coming up from the earth, um, picturing potentially this would be a symbol of what would be happening at creation as Adam first appeared on the earth. So God's ultimate purpose for creation is family. Most people know, and you know, we all have family. We all have loved ones and some, you know, maybe not so much love or, or, or we argue a lot, but that's family. Uh, but before there were humans, God is a, uh, he was a father in his heart. So he was always a father, meaning that before Adam came uh, out of the dust of the ground, he, the, the Lord God was there as a father. He has a son who is Jesus, and typical, uh, you know, and, and, and I think symbolically maybe, but also we understand this as we see things today. He wants a bride for his son, an, an eternal companion, uh, one who will love Jesus with all of our heart the way that he loves them. So the Lord is preparing a bride that is presented to a worthy son. And, you know, a lot of Christians understand that we are called the bride of Christ and that he is the groom. I'm giving you a, an image here on the right in the lower corner of Holy Spirit and a woman with a with a bridal gown and her veil over her. Um, that's that's the image that, that at least I get. And then last is, you know, um, I, I, I like to shift paradigms or put myself in somebody's shoes, you know, what they're thinking and when they're seeing things. So picture yourself in the in the shoes of the angels. Uh, here they've known God before the earth uh, uh, was formed. Um, I, I don't know that he necessarily explained everything that he's doing, but picturing the angels, watching what's happening, knowing the image of God, seeing God creating man in his own image, and and giving him uh, eventually a spirit. And, and they're seeing this, and they see him, we don't. So this had to be what I believe was a complete shock. Um, and, and just a side note, this is just my own personal opinion. Um, I would not be surprised if Lucifer, as the cherubim of, of heaven, saw this and became jealous of man that we would be made in his image. So I'm going to do a little bit of um, uh, refreshing here, or I should say, um, uh, yeah, it's a refresher. I'll call it a refresher. I've covered some of this in the in the opening series, but I just want to touch upon this, and this concerns 
the bride of Christ and who we are as the bride in the wedding feast. Revelation 19, 6, 10, reading from the top, if you're watching this with me on video, then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God Almighty reigns. Let us result there. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. That fine linen is is the linen that that you wear because of the sacrifice of Jesus. For the and it says here, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. The angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. So if you're hearing this and you've heard this for the first time, you are invited to the marriage supper of the lamb. And if you accept that invitation and it's for everyone, there, there, there is no uh, cultural indifference. There is no, um, uh, what, no, no, no. What do I want to say? No requirements for skin pigmentation, background of economic, social. Everyone is invited. Rich, poor, it, it, it doesn't matter. Executive uh, and, 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 you know, well, I'll say uh, blue collar worker. I'll put it that way. So we're all invited. And I'm just going to give you a brief synopsis of the wedding feast. And, you know, wedding and, and, and I'm looking at this in the times of Jesus. Uh, they were assigned by the, the wedding customs were signed by the parents of the bride and the bridegroom. Uh, this was a contract and it, uh, this contract, uh, the bridegroom would himself pay a, a down payment to the bride of the parents. Uh, the bridegroom accompanied by his male friends went to the house of the bride at midnight, uh, creating a torchlight parade throughout the streets. This is what you would see back in the days of Jesus. This parade would not be a surprise to the bride. She knew well in advance the event was taking. She just didn't know exactly when. She was there with her maidens, whether she, they're wedding, waiting in their wedding gowns and maiden dresses, I don't know. But uh, then they would join the parade and they would end up at the bridegroom's home. This is the custom and it's the basis of the parable of the ten versions. Uh, and you can find that in Matthew 25, 1 through 13. But the events described here, Describe the third phase of the wedding feast, what, what I just read in the beginning about Revelation. Uh, John isn't meaning to skip the first two phases because he's communicating that this has already happened. The first phase was completed on earth when each individual Christian placed his or her faith in Jesus Christ. That's your down payment. The dowry in this case was paid by the bridegroom's parent, which is the father, because of the sacrifice in the blood of Jesus. The church is betrothed to Christ much the same way as the wise virgin in the parable. Uh, all Christians should be watching, waiting, could be happening at any moment, 2 Timothy 4.8. Uh, and the second phase was when Christ comes to claim his bride and he takes the, 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 the bride to the marriage house, for this is the marriage supper and this follows the final uh, step that is the glorious celebration of who we are in Christ. So there's a wedding feast to happen. And, and this is why I said that we are the prepared bride. So, you know, I'm, 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 hopefully that kind of sets the stage of where we want to end up. That's the, that's the mission or the, I should say, that's the vision statement if you want to 
look at it in terms of a structural organization or business. I guess that doesn't sound good, break it down to a business. Oh, sorry about that. But again, you know, a brief refresher here. There are two distinctions for his one coming. So we're talking about the second coming of Jesus. Um, but there's, there's two things that happen. There's a rapture, which is a, uh, a, a taking up, if you will, and a second coming where Jesus physically uh, appears on the earth. The first rapture, Jesus meets um, the believers in the, in the air, in the atmosphere, in the heavens. And I, I, of this, there is no question. So for people who may want to poo-poo the rapture, um, that, that's undeniable in terms of there's clearly two distinctions. All Christians acknowledge this. What they don't necessarily always agree on is the timing of it. Is it before the rapture, in the midpoint of the rapture, or the end? So what I've done for you here, if you're on video, I've outlined maybe 20, 25 different passages that clearly indicate the rapture passages versus the second coming, the physical second coming. Um, so in, in, in terms of this, uh, it, you know, this is how I, I take it. Um, there is one second coming, and that happens at the end of, of the tribulation, near the end of the book of Revelation. Prior to this, I believe, is when the rapture takes place, where Jesus rescues his, his church, his people, before the wrath of the Lord is released. He, he saves them from that, and there's so many scriptures that support that. But nonetheless, there are people who, who feel otherwise. It's not, you know, we shouldn't be able to argue in it. It has nothing to do with their salvation. Um, it's the timing of it. And I always tell people who believe in a post-rapture uh, that on my way up, I'll stop by and grab you and pull you by the hand. Because I'm that kind of a guy. Just kidding, I know. Uh, uh, let me read this here at the bottom if you're following me on uh, 1 Thessalonians in, in the blue and yellow highlight. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command. With the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of Christ, the de- uh, trumpet call of God, the dead in Christ will rise first. Okay? So the dead in Christ will rise and meet him in the air. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. And I always say it's interesting that the Apostle Paul points out to encourage one another. If we are to face the wrath of, of God and we are to be in, in, in partake in the, in the tribulation, why would we want to encourage one another with that? Um, so that's just, you know, that's just something that's, that stuck out to me. But there's a clear delineation between these two events is, is really what I want to get across. I've broken this down uh, for you in terms of what different people or different factors or maybe even denominations, I'm not sure. Um, there's the pre-tribulation. So right before the seven-year event happens, we're taken up. Uh, there's a what's called a partial rapture. Um, not too many people feel this way, but some view themselves as spiritual Christians for don't necessarily un- understand all that either you are or you're not. Um, but the, or maybe car and then the difference between that and carnal Christians, I'll, I'll just say maybe somebody who goes to church once or twice a year, Christmas, Easter, that kind of a thing, but doesn't really engage the Lord. Um, that they would come up near the end of tribulation. 
Then there's the mid-tribulation, the three-and-a-half-year point, because remember, this is seven years, and then those who feel uh, that comes at the end. I've, in, in the very first section uh, or, or piece that I did, I broke this down more, you know, why these people feel this way, what their verses they're standing on. But I just, I'm, I'm giving you the high level. So this is before what we're going to see in the seven-year tribulation uh, in the book of Revelation. So I just want to set this up. Five very quick points I want to bring up why I believe that we're in, uh, our, our future lies with the rapture of the church prior to the tribulation. Uh, Revelation 3.10, because you have kept my command to persevere, I will also keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world. So I think that's pretty clear right there that that the Lord is going to spare us. Uh, We are Christians in general. We're not appointed to wrath. Um, 1 Thessalonians 5.9 says, God has not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, number two, the, uh, you know, emphasizing the church is delivered from the wrath to come. Uh, th- this letter is is one of the first books that the New Testament emphasizes the second coming, uh, the imminent return of, of Jesus. It covers the rapture, the tribulation, and other end time subjects. So, you know, first and second Thessalonians, it was written to the to the church of Thessalonica, and a lot of it had to do with the fact that Paul was writing because. Uh, apparently a great deal of the people there thought that they missed it, thought that the Lord had come and that they were left behind. So Paul was addressing the return of Jesus. Obviously, this is post-resurrection. Number three, the church is completely absent in chapters 4 through 18, which is what we're going to cover a lot of. So the whole time that you see uh, the 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 accounts of, of of the tribulation and the accounts of what what is going on in the world. The church is not present, so that alone, well, not alone. I'm I'm saying a lot of these that would add to what I believe is another reason that we will not be present during this time. Uh, the fourth is uh, the imminency of it. We've talked about the doctrine of imminency that Christ could come at any time, at any moment. If we're to go through. Uh, the tribulation, then we know what is to come. We can see these things, what, what's to come. So it wouldn't make sense. We, 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 we wouldn't necessarily go, okay, well, we've got to be ready at any time. Well, And if we look at it that way, then we've got to wait for this, this, and this to happen. So that's not the case. And the last reason um, is, is uh, Jesus himself, when he, um, he wrote to the church of Philadelphia, uh, you know, he says um, uh, the promises that are written— uh, that this is a future event. And, and I'm sorry, uh, you know, when I was talking about Revelation 3.10 in the beginning, this is what I'm referencing here. Uh, when, he's, when he writes this, he says, this is really a future event, that he's going to deliver you from, from the wrath of this hour. Uh, if it was just about the Church of Philadelphia, which apparently some claim, this church has long been disbanded and destroyed, so it's not prevalent for the times that Jesus is describing. Uh, this is written to all churches. You know, remember that all seven letters are to uh, you to take heart in all of the different churches. Uh, the the promise will not be fulfilled until a trial comes upon the entire world. So the entire world is going to be engaged in this trial. And then last, the Greek word from is translated out of. Me. So this basically you can interpret this as saying, "I will keep you out of the wrath to come." 
So these are five major points that I believe that there will be a pre-tribulation. I have no doubt in my mind, but nonetheless, I do you know, want to recognize that there are others out there with a different opinion. Uh, very quickly, winding this re- review down, here is the, uh, I've lifted 15 highlights that are different from the rapture to the glorious appearing. So if the rapture happens prior to tribulation, what's to the right of this, if you're following me on video, is the glorious appearing, Jesus appearing on earth, uh, first coming in the clouds and, and, and then on the earth. Uh, so I'm calling it the rapture, the glorious appearing. Just some examples, if you're listening to us, uh, in the rapture, Christ comes in the air. Uh, in the glorious appearing, Christ comes with his own to earth. Um, I'll jump down to number five, church taken to heaven. Uh, in the glorious appearing, Christ sets up the kingdom on earth. Uh, there are no signs of the rapture. So it just happens in the twinkling of an eye. I'm going to snap my finger. It happens that quickly. Uh, there are many signs for Christ's physical second coming. You know, we're, we're going to be covering all of this. There is a great deal of, amount of, of times. Uh, the rapture, it's a time of joy. It's a time of celebration. It's a time of the marriage supper of the Lamb. Um, the glorious appearing will unfortunately be a time of mourning for most of the people that are left on the earth near the end. There are, and we'll cover this. So many people come to the Lord during the rapture. But, you know, so many people will see him and go, oh, I, I missed it. Because if you have not accepted Jesus and you see him coming at the end of the seven years, you're, it's too late. You know, your, your, your time is up. Uh, and last, number 15 here, uh, the tribulation begins with the advent of, of, of the rapture. The beginning of the rapture uh, kind of sets the clock to go, okay, go, seven years forward. Uh, and and the, the opposite is at the end of the glorious appearing, that begins a thousand-year millennial uh, rule with Christ on the earth. So just some quick highlights. If you're, you know, if you're listening to this, if you want to see this, it's on video. I've lifted 15 different direct comparisons that you can say, what is the difference between the rapture and the appearing of Jesus? So jumping to the book of Daniel real quick, why? Because that's really where we first learn about, um, in detail, the tribulation. I've got a lot of different images on here if you're, if you're watching this. Uh, but I'm just concentrating on the images and the graphs to the right, which is what's called the 70th week of years, which is the seven-year tribulation, a week of years, seven in a week, seven-year tribulation. So let me, uh, let me read Daniel 9.27, if you're following me on video here on the lower right. And he, he will enter into a binding and irrevocable covenant with the many for one week, meaning seven years. But in the middle of the week, he will stop the sacrifice. And so this is Satan. This is the beast. You'll see this. He will stop the sacrifice in the middle of the week. So this is the three and a half year point. Um, and he will stop the sacrifice and grain offering. And on the wing of abominations, we'll get into that, will come the one who makes desolate. So the, we're talking about Satan here. We're talking about the Antichrist. Most people, if I say Antichrist, have heard that expression before. Even until the complete destruction, one that is decreed is poured out on the one who causes the horror. So this is the area, <clears throat> what we're going to be concentrating on. If you're watching this on video, to the left of this, before this happens, you see the church age, 
which is begins with the resurrection of the, of Jesus and 50 days later the pentecost or holy spirit comes this is the the day and the age of which we live today this is not talked about in, in, in daniel there's this brief uh, there's this intermission of time uh, then the rapture of the church which starts the peace treaty with Israel, uh, we, we've we've covered a lot of that. Why there will be a peace treaty? If you're listening to this for the first time, uh, I believe what you'll see a precursor to the peace treaty will be the War of Gog of Magog, which is being posted, you know, as I'm recording this today. Uh, and then just I'm going to really quickly highlight uh, for those who may be skeptics, I I outlined uh, where. The Bible tells us that there will be 69 weeks of years between the decree to rebuild Jerusalem. We know these dates from historical accounts outside of the Bible. And that was issued on March 14th, 445 BC. We know that Jesus came into Jerusalem riding on a donkey or a mule or a cult uh, on April 6th, 32 AD. It sounds crazy that we would know these dates. I've explained how and why. Um, There's a book called The Coming Prince, that uh, we'll we'll break down all the math if if you want to, but at any rate, what I do want to just touch on real quickly is there were 483 years that were said would happen between those two dates, and to the day, 483 years to the day, meaning 173,880 days were covered there, and just as Daniel recorded hundreds of years before Jesus came in. That's exactly what happened. So again, when I say that we attempt to get to the truth, we we attempt to prove things out and here you can't make this up. And you know, these deny or, or surpass any um, degree of plausibility or mathematical plausibility that you would have that Jesus Christ and the Bible are reliable documents. Okay, there will be tribulation, but why? So why, you know, so many times, why would God bring this tribulation, bring this impact upon the earth? And and this is where, where I'm going to wind down this section. Uh, Matthew 24, uh, 21, and then 29 through 30. Um, I'm reading the words of Jesus. He says, For then shall be great tribulation, such as what not such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor shall ever be. Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, the moon shall not give her light, and the stars fell from heaven, and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. And then shall appear the sun of the sign of I'm sorry, and then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall be all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And this is what I alluded to earlier, that the, those who do not know the Lord will see him coming and they will be devastated. They will know that they have missed their time. And I'm just going to say, you know, if you don't know the Lord, your time is now. Um, this particular topic and this breakdown that we're mentioning here is the third most referenced uh, um, topic or, or, or subject that's referenced, and the only other ones are salvation and his second coming. So this seven-year period is the third most <clears throat> reviewed uh, point of uh, point of time and and par- a, a a a section of history that has been covered more often than not. 
Uh, it is mentioned 49 different times by the Hebrew prophets and 15 different times in the New Testament. How bad will this be? Well, consider this. It combines the wrath of God. That alone is a, should be enough to scare you. The fury of Satan, because Satan knows that this is the end for him, and he's out to get as many as possible away from the Lord. Um, so his he's angry. The Lord's angry in the sense of he's called an end to this. Okay, he's put up with this for 6,000 years. And then you also combine the evil nature of man. It's completely unleashed at this point. So man by himself has this capability of evil. I'm not telling you anything that you don't know. You just look around the world today and see some of the horrific things. So man's evil, the fury of Satan, and the wrath of God. That makes for a very potent mixture for these seven years all the more reason that you don't want to be around and all the more reason that the Lord would spare you from this. Matthew 24, 22, if those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. This is Jesus speaking. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. So really, really the Lord's saying, I am having mercy because this is how bad it's going to be. I must call this to an end. There must be uh, a game clock or an end, you know, at, at, at the end of a game. I'm comparing it to a game is probably not fair, but but I hope you get the, the analogy that the time and the clock is running out. Uh, so on that note, Daniel 9.24 says that time must come to an end. Uh so this is the angel Gabriel speaking to uh, uh, speaking to Daniel, and it says here in 924, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and upon the holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make a reconciliation for iniquity, and to bring in everlasting righteousness, and to seal up the vision and the prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. So there's that section of time, which is 70 weeks of years, we have fulfilled 69 weeks of those years are already complete. We've covered this before. There's only this one slice of seven years that's left before the Lord says that that's it. All right. Uh, another reason is we, the Lord, you know, he, he, he's not man that he can lie. So Israel's prophecies must be fulfilled, which is covered in the rebuilding of the temple and the renewal of the temple sacrifices. So this will happen in the early stages of the tribulation. You will see the temple of the Lord built up again in that area of Jerusalem. I cite you here some different scriptural references. 2 Thessalonians 2, 1-17, through 17, Daniel 9, 24-27, Matthew, Daniel, Revelation. They're, they're all here. So I, I just want you to know that there's so many scriptural references. I'm not just you know, flying this by the seat of my pants. And then just continuing on this theme of why the Lord would allow tribulation, and I'm winding this section down here. Um, I'm going to read from you Second Peter 3, 9, how it's, it's the Lord's desire to shake you from this false sense of security, like, you know, that you are in charge of everything, that you are the means all and the end all. Uh, we all know that you have something in your heart that yearns to be closer to the Lord and to know God if you don't. So 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, 
not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So he desires that everyone would come to him. So this this area or this uh, section of history from from Adam to up to the tribulation and eventually the return of Jesus has been carved out, has been preordained, and it is the Lord's desire that you be with him. Um, I'm citing out the 144,000 Jewish witnesses that will be in the time of tribulation. They will be speaking uh, to the Jewish people. Um, I'm sure people of other faiths will come to understand the significance and that the Lord is with them. There are 12 tribes in Israel, if you don't know, and there's 12,000 assigned in these 144,000. So this is you know, what the Lord is doing to kind of shake you if you are in, in this time of tribulation. He sends two Old Testament prophets, and, and I believe that is Enoch and Elijah. They are the two who did not die, who were taken up to the Lord. Um, they will have great powers, and we'll cover some of this. Um, they, they will be a witness at the Temple Mount area, um, and they will perform great miracles. And again, they will be given as a sign to help people. Uh, Revelation 7, 9 through 14, uh, and, and, and it says this. This is John. After this, I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations, kindreds, people, and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. And he cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sits upon the throne and unto the Lamb. All the angels stood around the throne and about the elders of the four beasts and fell before the throne on their faces, and they worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be unto our God forever and ever. Amen. And then what happens? One of the elders answered, say, says to me, What are these which are, are what are these which are arrayed in white robes, and whence come they? And I said to him, Sir, thou knows. And he said to me, These are they which came out of the great tribulation, have washed their robes, and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. So the Lord is providing this, and as as hard as this is to fathom, this will be ultimately what shakes people. I believe personally that there will be a tremendous outpouring of people and mass conversions to Jesus after the rapture of the church, because there will be so many Christians who have heard about this and just didn't come to the Lord, so they will come, and they will and they will see these things, and, and we're talking about the witnesses, and, and uh, the, the 144,000 witnesses, the two on the Temple Mount, and others. They will, these things will, will convince them, if you will, um, so the, the, although this is uh, God's wrath, it's also a sign of his mercy because it will kind of wake people up out of their slumber going, uh-oh, you know, I've got to come to the Lord. And they will recognize that um, they are a flawed person and need the, the forgiveness of their sins. So we see here the, the example that there will be people who will come to the Lord in this time of tribulation. Um, and it, it, this inevitably will force man that you will either choose Jesus or you will choose the Antichrist. Uh, I, I really, you know, I'm, I'm sure there will be some, but during this time, 
you know, Satan wants worship. He wants you to fall at his knees, much like he said to Jesus, you know, just bow down and worship me in the desert when he showed him the kingdoms of this world. It's the same. He, he's telling you the same thing. Here's the kingdom of this world. Worship me, you know, and I'll grant you, I'll give you these things. Um, so you will have those choices to make either Jesus or the Antichrist. And I'm citing for you here, uh, Revelation 7, 13 and 13, 16 through 18. And then finally, I'm going to close with this, where you never see this in any place else in the Bible. Revelation 14, 6 says, And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth to every nation, kindred, and tongue, and people. So there is an angel that is assigned strictly to preach the gospel to the ends of the earth. So I don't know how he'll appear where, I, you know, I, I don't know. But the fact of the matter is God is pouring out so many different tools and resources, and he's, he's assigned this one particular angel that will be ministering and preaching the word of God. It will be going forth. So the Lord is bringing this tribulation into cause and end of days, cause and end of time, but at the same time, it will be used as a vessel to draw people to him, even in these tumultuous times. So I'm going to wrap it up here and, and close here because we've covered a lot of ground and there's so much more to go. And we're going to get in the next section, all of the different individuals. And for lack of a better term, I'm going to try to break down some of the imagery. Um, I will break down some of the imagery that hopefully you will understand because God wants you to understand this book. He, his heart, this book is a, believe it or not, this is a love story. He loves you. Uh, and, and he wants, he wants to welcome you into his family. So we're going to cover the different characters or the main contributors, uh, or the symbols that we see in, in our next section. So hopefully this gave you a good introduction to the book of revelation. At least that's my hope. Uh, and, and again, you know, I, I just, uh, I, I, I thank you. I thank you. I thank you for being here. So on that note, I would just like to close. Uh, and if you have questions or comments about this book, there's certainly plenty of resources, certainly plenty of churches. Uh, if you're in church, talk to your pastors, your ministers. They're, they're going to be hopefully some of the best examples and resources you can tap into. But nonetheless, if you do have questions or comments, if you have a prayer request, please email me at russicoutlook at gmail.com. Uh, and, I, and I would just love if you could jump on our website and join our email list. We just keep you up to date on, on new subjects and topics. So on that note, I thank you again. You've been listening to the Russick Outlook. As always, just my opinion.